Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Could we turn in our Bibles, please, to uh, Philippians chapter 2? Have a portion, read a portion of this. Some of you would have been present and some would not have been present when we commenced a series of studies through this lovely book, when we were looking at chapter 1 of this book of uh, Philippians, we um, commented that um, the editor of the Thompson uh, Chain Reference Bible refers to this as a love letter from the dear apostle to his beloved brothers and sisters um, at Philippi. And in the very first chapter, you might recall, we saw that I think it was six or seven times the word the gospel is mentioned. And so very early on in this letter, the apostle is making it very clear what he's writing about. You don't mention something six times in uh, a few verses, uh, a small number of verses, without that indicating what you're talking about. And we did have a look at the first uh, that chapter in a couple of t- occasions that we looked at verse 5 in the uh, first of those studies where he speaks of the fellowship of the gospel and I'm just mentioning these these in passing to give context for the passage in chapter 2 that we're looking at tonight so he spoke about the fellowship in the gospel which is indicative of the place that every believer has in the proclamation of the gospel. There's none of us are meant to be just passive um, and absorbing of the gospel. We're all in the business of making the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ known, which of course raised the question, what is the gospel? And the apostle has identified that clearly for us in his letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. Um, It is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. Those are the fundamentals of the message that we bring to a needy world. And it was rammed home to us this morning when we were told the the overarching importance of repentance towards God. A message that is soft on that is not the gospel. We are sinners who need to be saved by the grace of God. So the fellowship of the gospel is the first of those emphases that we looked at. And then we looked at verse 12 where he he uses the expression the furtherance of the gospel. This gospel that we've been entrusted with, this message that has brought us to salvation is not just for us to revel in Um, It is for us to promulgate, to make known. And as we go through this book and in his other epistles too, we find that that is done through the agency of his church in which there are differing capabilities, differing gifts, differing roles. We're not all the same. We don't all do the exact same thing. But collectively under the authority and um, lordship of the Holy Spirit, the function of the various members of the body of Christ move in the direction that he wants. So the furtherance of the gospel was mentioned there. 
And we got to as far as verse 27 in that chapter, and he's referring there to the faith of the gospel. This is almost an all-encompassing expression that speaks of that which he is is, um, sharing with, that which he's ministering as he moves around from place to place. This um, faith, uh, fellowship of the faith of the gospel. And in the first four four verses of... um, chapter 2, we had a look there at the spiritual motivations for biblical church life. He's starting to get down to the practicalities now of how a church functions and should function. And we looked at the external factors, the commands and exhortations of the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry, and the work of the Spirit of God who prompts and checks us you remember, he not only leads, but he sometimes stops us in the way. Paul and his colleagues were going to go in one direction, and no, no, the Holy Spirit forbade that, and but turned them in another direction, and that's when they actually went to Philippi, and we have that record uh, for us. And we saw also in that passage our spiritual obligations of living together in a life of harmony, It's the purpose of God that there should be a harmonious working of his spirit amongst each congregation, that there should be a oneness of heart and purpose and um, outlook for those who belong to the same congregation. And not only a life of harmony, we saw the need for a life of humility. There's no place for and those who are seeking limelight or are seeking aggrandizement or uh, extending their reputation and so on. That's not the way of the gospel of Christ, um, but the way is the way of the cross. And it's also a life of helpfulness. Um, we, we're just, I'm just touching on those by way of summary. And now this evening, if we take this passage from uh, chapter 2 and verse 5. We'll read through to verse, um, verse 11. And this is what the passage says. And it's a most remarkable passage. It's the standard of Christian behaviour and church life perfectly portrayed as perhaps the ultimate challenge to each believer. Um, Chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Now, if we stopped there, we would have so much to think about, wouldn't we? Indeed, it it is profitable for us sometimes to pause after a, a phrase or a sentence. Let this mind be in you, in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ being developed and imparted to his people. Now that is almost beyond our comprehension or capability to explain, but it's there. They're the the Lord's inspired words to the church at Philippi. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, there's a linking word here, set of statements and then a therefore. It's always good if we see therefore to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. just want to try and pick up this thought um, of the mind of Christ being formed and developed and released in us. Just to deal with three simple headings there. One is the attitude of love manifest in the mind of Christ. Secondly, the activity of lowliness that his mind attitude led him to. And thirdly, the ascendancy of life that is follows that therefore that we paused at as we went through that passage. Well, um, one of the 20th century commentators introduces his thoughts about this with these words. No portion of Holy Scripture unveils the mind of Christ as this one does. These verses set forth the standard of Christian living as perfectly realised in the Lord Jesus Christ to know how God expects us to believe and behave as Christians we must learn and then live the mind of Christ. So with that in mind let's just have a quick look at the first of the sort of subdivisions if we could call it that the attitude of love. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now being in the form of God literally means he existed in the form of God. It's referring to his eternal coexistence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was God, very God, eternally God, unchangeably God, the man Christ Jesus who was born as the babe of Bethlehem. He wasn't just a man who was born to the Virgin Mary and received special gift of divinity at his baptism, as some um, wrongly affirm. He's the eternal, unchanging Son of God, and before the worlds came into being or before the stars were flung into their places, um, he was God. And we have that very emphatically uh, set out for us in John's Gospel, chapter 1. He was God in his existence and his love for us was always the same. God is love and this blessed Lord and Saviour of ours is characterised 
by love for a lost humanity. Now, we could say it goes on the external expression of this mind of Christ is mentioned too. Who being in the form of God, that word form um, means the outward expression, um, that which manifests the person. We actually, we use the word interestingly in relation to athletes. Um, we sometimes say that um, an opening batsman is in form or if he's getting a lot of runs. Or it means that his inward capabilities are being expressed clearly and emphatically in the way that he um, does things. And here, the form, the, the outward expression exhibits what the person was or is. And our Lord Jesus didn't count um, being equivalent to God as something that he had to grasp at and try and attain to because that's who he was and that's who he is. And um, our brother Tom only recently repeated to us numbers of the occasions where he was able to use the expression, I am, the, the words that identify Jehovah. Uh, when he uh, was asked a question by Moses, who will I say is sending me? I am. And then I am that I am. This is the great eternal God who's speaking, uh, of whom we're speaking here. And uh, it was he who was giving external expression or visible expression to the very um, God whose we are and whom we serve. Um, Peter McKenzie was a Methodist preacher of a few generations ago and uh, in a sermon from John 3 verse 16 he quoted um, um, another well-known preacher of the day called Gypsy Smith. Many of you will have heard that name before. And, uh, that, and Smith in one of his sermons said, there are two striking things in my text today. He was speaking about John chapter 3, verse 16, and the love of God. There are two striking things in my text. When God loves, he loves a world. God so loved the world. When he gives, he gives his son. And we're introduced to this, the mind of Christ, by being pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, the Son of the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there we have it, the, introducing this, this passage, Christ's attitude of love, eternal in its existence because it's that of the Son of God Himself. It's not something that's waxing or waning. It doesn't come and go like the tides of the sea. It's ongoing, it's continuous in its nature, and it does not change. And it's external in its expression. Our Lord Jesus came to portray, not just to have an attitude towards mankind, but to actually come and give himself a ransom for us. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to seek and to save us, in short. Um, and he has done that perfectly. 
He didn't have to grasp at deity. Deity was his very nature. And the same as he was willing to come and portray and manifest the life and the heart attitude of God, that devolves upon us, brothers and sisters. Last Sunday night, Anand reminded us that um, the life that we live is the life of Christ. He used the expression of Christian meaning a little Christ. In other words, we are living the life of Christ. And when we're exhorted here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's not only the thought processes. Yes, those are important. Those are basic. Those are fundamental. But also the outworking. And so we see that this attitude of love has both its eternal nature and its external manifestation for those who are his. Well, the second point I'd like us to look at briefly is the activity of lowliness, how this expression is going to be manifested in the world. Through our lives, how is it to be shown to those about us? Let this mind be in you, he says, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now here, he goes on. Who made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now here, this, his attitude of love led to an activity of the utmost lowliness. Is there any further that he could stoop? The king of glory, the creator of the ends of the earth, the possessor of heaven and earth, to become a babe in arms, to come to this man, to partake, this world, to partake of our humanity, to be tested in all points like as we are, all points, yet without sin, is there any further sense in which we could think of the lowliness of the Son of God that he should undertake that blessing? He came into a life of poverty, really. He made himself, we're told, of no reputation. That means he emptied himself of the, the manifestations of glory. If we had have seen, if those shepherds had have seen baby, the baby in the manger there, um, it would have looked like another baby. Um, they, he wasn't, an, uh, he was glorious king of kings, but he was a man who moved amongst men and was showing forth by what, the way he lived, the, na the nature within him. He emptied himself of the glories of heaven, laid aside um, all but love, one of the um, hymn writers put it. And Paul puts it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 8 at verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I love the way the Bible understates things. Um, he, Though he was rich. Oh, rich? 
who is rich? Uh, you know, Gina Reinhardt is, is very rich. It measures her wealth in billions. Other people are very rich and they can measure theirs in trillions. I don't know. But however rich they are, they've got a portion, um, a bit um, fragmentary, but they've got a portion of the, the what there is. Our saviour made it all. He owns it all. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. And when the Bible simply says he made, he made himself, he was rich, um, I mean, when do we stop describing how rich he was? He was the possessor of heaven and earth. This blessed one. And Paul says, for your sakes, he became poor. And what poverty. What was it that caused him to say there in Gethsemane, from Calvary, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What did he have? He was bearing the sin, the burden of humanity. This one who owned it all, who was the creator, as we read in John chapter 1, of heaven and earth, this one now becomes the sin bearer for you and for me. It raises a question for us, brothers and sisters, whether we really, we, we can read about it, we can think about this mind of Christ, but is there a preparedness on our part to be humbled, to be however low or however whatever he wants us to be, that we might be of that same mindset that our Lord Jesus had, where the things, the glories of heaven even, had to be put aside to carry through the purposes that God had for him. It was a life of poverty that he chose, and that doesn't mean that we all have to um, be live as beggars in the street or anything, but it does mean that a preparedness of heart that other things have to take their rightful place, that the order of priorities in the life of the Christian is seek first, as a matter of first priority, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And it was more than that, it was a life of slavery. Now, we're touching on things that are that have very practical implications for us. He took upon himself, we're told here in this passage at verse 7, the form of a servant or bond slave and was made in the fashion of men. He himself says, the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When it says he took upon himself the form of a servant, he carried that through. You remember um, our brother, Dr. Isles, touched on this a few weeks ago when just in that period immediately prior to Gethsemane and the cross where he washed the feet of his disciples. It was the mark of servitude that Peter rebelled against me. You're not going to wash my feet. You're my Lord. You don't wash my... Uh, but the Lord dealt with that also. 
he could say, I am among you as he that serves. And in that, that, that Last Supper occasion, he um, washed and wiped their feet the duty of a common slave. Now, the moment Saul of Tarsus met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, when he was smitten, he's blind, the light blinded him, he had two questions. The one was, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Second question, what would you have me to do? Now, what he was, he had to go and get told what was going to happen. But th- th- those are two fundamental questions for us. If we satisfied ourselves concerning the Lordship of Christ, yes, he is my Lord. I bow the knee of my heart to him. The rightful follow on question is what does that imply? in practical terms. What are the operational realities for me, Lord, if I'm under your authority? Though he was rich, he made, was made poor for us. Though he was the Lord of all, he took upon himself the, the role of a slave, of a bond servant. Now, I don't know whether many people nowadays read Oswald Chambers. He was widely read when I was a younger man and um, I've got a quote from him that's relevant to this circumstance. He says, Our Lord did not say to his disciples, I've had a most successful time on earth. I've addressed thousands of people and been the means of their salvation. Now you go and do the same kind of thing. Rather, he said, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And in commenting on that, we may easily try to get out of it by washing figuratively the feet who are those not of our own set. We will wash the feet of heathen, the feet in the slums, But fancy washing my brother's feet, my wife's, my husband's, and so on. Well, what we're being asked to do is to live that life of not I, but Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. That's the the secret as the Apostle gives it to us. And the Lord Jesus here um, is portrayed as the one who was prepared for the poverty situation and for the slavery situation. It's not a matter of aggrandizement. So so far we've looked at his attitude of love. It's eternal and unending in nature and its external expressions. His activity of lowliness in his poverty and willingness to serve this glorious bond servant who would wash the feet of other men. And just a few thoughts to close this evening, brothers and sisters. The passage goes on and says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus 
every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We could summarise this by an expression something like the ascendancy of life that's manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now raised from the dead. He is risen. He is exalted to the Father's right hand. He is ruling. He could say in his great commission, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we seek to worship him um, in those capacities as we come together week after week. But this exaltation of our Saviour is here clearly shown as related to his humiliation. Whoever exalteth himself, we read in Luke 14, 11, shall be exalted, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Our Lord Jesus Christ is given in Scripture this place of solitary preeminence. That in all things, the Apostle writes elsewhere, that in all things he should have the preeminence. That's the purposes of the Heavenly Father, to glorify his beloved Son. That's the longing of the hearts of his people who gather to worship him week by week. And therefore the scripture tells us, God also hath highly exalted him. He occupies an incomparable place. And in Ephesians 1 at verse 20, we read, God raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but in that which is to come. Now this has transforming relevance for you and me. If we are united with Christ, there's a blessed sense. And brothers and sisters, this calls for immense thought and consideration and the help of the Spirit of God to realise the greatness of that which God has brought us into, the privileges that are ours in Christ that we, we need to be ever so thankful for. We are united with Christ in um, the, in his glorious um, ascension and in his heavenly um, glory. Now, the, these are words that the scripture has for us that we need to exercise our minds about to realise what is being referred to when the scripture refers to our so great salvation. We None of us have got close yet to understanding the wonders of what God has done and the glories that he's purposed for us. But he does purpose that we, ha we enter as much as possible by the help of the Spirit of God into wonderment at what he has done in uniting us mystically, wonderfully, spiritually with our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one with solitary preeminence. He's the one with sovereign power. And Paul's referring to uh, his great name um, by which he's known in the Old Testament as Jehovah when he says 
uh, speech here of the Lord. And um, God hath highly exalted him and given him this name which is above every name. Jesus Christ is Lord, one of the uh, commentators says, became the rallying cry of the early church and is still central in our Christian faith is to share the Saviour's sovereign power over things in heaven, in earth and hell. Now, that I know there are limitations on this. I know there's intellectual incapability on my part to grasp the wonders of this. But we are touching here on blessedness that is massive and for which we need to give thanks to God. And the satisfying purpose is brought out here that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The great purpose of God in the universe is that he should be glorified in all things. I think our various confessions, the Westminster Confession picks that up. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we need to be in the full enjoyment of what the Lord has for us here. Now... I came across this uh, quote from David Livingstone, which, which I wanted to conclude this evening. He says this, I will set no value upon anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance the interest of that kingdom, it shall be given away or kept according as to whether the giving or keeping will promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes and time um, for and eternity. And it reminded me of the famous saying of um, Jim Elliot, um, who, before he was martyred by the Orca Indians um, several decades ago, he made the statement, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot hold for that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, rather, for that which he cannot lose, to obtain that which he cannot lose. We're being um, shown here the way of the cross in our lives. The way that the Lord Jesus went was the way of Things not dominating. External factors not being what we're looking for. The things of the world not um, being what we're aiming for all our life. Not only that, the willingness to, for that sort of poverty, but of slavery, willingness to serve him in the ways that he ordains for us. Me, for the way he wants for me each of us for the way he wants for us to live. It's not a foolish thing to be willing to give up what we cannot hold on to to obtain that which can never be taken from us. And so that's the, the message we've got here tonight, these lovely words. Let this mind be in you. It's God's purpose that it should be in us. We're losing out if we're not seeking by his grace and the enabling of the Holy Spirit to let him work into us 
the heart attitude, the ambition, the desires, and then the activities and the attitudes to people that were in our Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve. He's amongst us as one who served. May the Lord help us in these matters. Our Father, we want to thank you for the immense challenge that these scriptures hold for us, the practicality of it all in how we live for you, how we serve you, how we prioritise things in our lives. Lord, do grant us the help of our Lord the Holy Spirit that we might choose wisely, that we might be those who are led by him in thought and word and action, that we might be those who who are guided by the word of God and taught in the truth of the way that we should walk. We commend one another as we go into this coming week. We pray for your special help where special help is needed. We pray for um, uh, Asha as she goes on the camp over next weekend down in Canberra that you'll go before her and with her and make her presence there a blessing. We pray for Ashish as he also is at school camp this week that you will help him to be a sweet saver of Christ amongst his colleagues and with the teaching staff who are involved. We pray for special help for our beloved Tom and Imka as they leave us and go away for a week or so, a little more. We pray that you will guard them guide them, that you will lead them in every detail and refresh them greatly, give them joy together and make them to be a joy to those with whom they have contact and to bring them again with rejoicing of heart and refreshed to minister amongst us. We commend every one of us to you. We want to thank you for the help you've given to um, our brother Alex in these recent weeks. We just praise you and thank you for answered prayer. We want to commend to you our dear brother um, um, Martin Isles in the testing time that he is going through and to guide him unerringly in the path that you would have him to walk. We pray for dear ones who have been afflicted with injury and sickness at this time that they too will know your blessing and your help in full measure. Lord, for all of us, we thank you for bringing our beloved Ina amongst us this morning to be able to worship with us for that entire meeting. And we commend her to your gracious care also and pray for your help there in the days that lie ahead. But for all of us, Lord, we could go round the room and pray for one another and we ask you to take us forward in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and help us to be those who are willing to do your will, to say what you would have us to say, to be what you want us to be and to glorify you in doing so. So we commend ourselves to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will take us forward um, as individuals, as families, and as a company of your people to glorify your great name. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, 
to the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forevermore. Amen.